0: Just go to Indeed.com slash blue wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: Oregon fans, what is going on? How we doing? How we doing? It is Thursday, October 6th. Thank you guys for tuning in to another episode of the Ducks Dish podcast just in case you happen to be new around these parts, I'm your host, Max Torres, publisher and lead editor of Ducks Digest, covering the Oregon Ducks for Fan Nation over on the Sports Illustrated Network. Uh, we got a big episode for you guys today. Uh, Oregon is going to be heading to the desert to play the Arizona Wildcats, and joining me for today's episode is Graham Metzger to preview this big-time game for Oregon. Graham, how we doing?
2: I'm doing good, Max. It's a, it's another week where we have Pac-12 after dark, so I can't be bad.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't know if Oregon wants to necessarily be in the Pac-12 after dark, back-to-back week, weeks, um, but you know, they, they make for some great football matchups, so uh, we got plenty to talk about, but before we get into today's episode, uh, if you guys are here watching on YouTube, youtube.com slash OregonFootballMaxTourist in the live chat. We got Gerard here. He is a uh, he's a returner. He he's a, a big fan of the show, and we love his support. But if you guys are here, uh, go ahead and drop a question or comment in the live chat, and Graham and I will do our best to get to it after we get through some of the other stuff that we want to talk about. Uh, and also, just wanted to plug some of the other episodes. It's been a busy, busy week um, for the Ducks Dish podcast. We've I think we've gone Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And then today, Thursday, so I uh, was really happy to hop back into some recruiting talk. Last night, uh, is Oregon in for a big October on the recruiting trail? Talked about some big names that were on campus for visits last week for the Stanford game, including five-star Texas wide receiver commit, John Tay Cook, uh, Utah offensive lineman, Spencer Fano. So there's plenty to get into over there. Go check those videos out on my channel or listen to the Duck Stitch podcast on your platform of choice. But uh, yeah, so we're going to get into this game and kind of see what catches our eye a little bit, what what we want to talk about, some players to know. Uh, I know that Graham did a good bit of research kind of talking about the Arizona defense. Um, Let's see what we got here. We're going to start here stacking up Oregon's offense against Arizona's defense because heading into this game, Oregon's offense is red hot. There's no other way to put it. Was last week's game against Stanford a flawless performance? I don't think i go that far. I don't think i go that far. I know that there's a couple deep passes that uh, Bo Nix really probably wanted to connect on. Some of those tosses looked like they were maybe losing a little bit of steam. So the downfield passing attack wasn't as effective as we've kind of grown used to. Uh, But I think that uh, Oregon's offense definitely has a lot of momentum in both phases of the offense. But the real story with Arizona is a really, really bad run defense. But on the other end, conversely, they have excelled defending the pass. And maybe that's a good place to start here, Graham.
2: Yeah, first of all, I just want to uh, make a note, you know, on Oregon-Stanford game, Max. Like you said, definitely not a flawless performance. But since uh, in, in the days since that game, I think I've definitely um, maybe become a bit more generous to how Oregon played. I think when we hopped on the uh, podcast after a night of coverage, you know, we were a little bit critical. but. I definitely think that it was actually a strong game uh, from Oregon had a lot of penalties against them. Never really got that long passing game going like we've seen in the past, like we've uh, come accustomed to, but for uh, Oregon to be able to adapt and focus more on the rush, especially with Bo Nix, you know, breaking off that big rushing touchdown. I think it was actually a pretty solid uh, game from Oregon against Stanford, but yeah, this Arizona team is not very good against the run. Um, they excel against the pass, and the real the best time where this Arizona defense uh, excels is when they can cause turnovers. They are really good at causing forced fumbles and uh, interceptions.
1: Yeah, and and that's going to be you know a spark plug for any defense, right? If you can get some turnovers, get some hits on your opponent's quarterback, I think that's going to bode well for you in this game. Arizona's got to have some confidence, even though they haven't had the best season. They're coming off of a 43-20 to 20 win over Colorado, which is, uh, I think, uh, definitively the doormat of the Pac-12 this year. Carl Durrell getting fired uh, obviously isn't going to help things, but sometimes you got when to know when to turn the page and, and move on to another head coach. Uh, but back-to-back home games is what uh, kind of happens here for Arizona. So it's going to be interesting to see how that Oregon offense can start against the Arizona defense. Maybe we can talk about that for a sec, Graham. Because Oregon has not been known, I'd say, over the past three to four years. Maybe we just go the crystal ball tenure. Oregon has not been known as a team that starts fast. They, they just haven't. Not, not recently, at least. I mean, the Chip Kelly era, sure, you can talk about that with how insane their offense was. But it seems like they haven't been known as a team that starts fast. But maybe they're turning in a new leaf this year with, with their offense. You know, with how well they've been able to run the ball with how effective Bo Nix has been passing the ball, doing a really good job taking care of it. I think that they got to get started fast here. And there's some reason to believe that they can do that based on what we've seen so far.
2: Yeah, I totally agree, Max. I think uh, in the first quarter against Stanford, I was wanting for Oregon to put up a few more points. They were having successful drives, but just couldn't quite finish it off. And then Coda of course had his big uh, touchdown catch to end the first quarter. Um, so I definitely think that starting hot is crucial, but even more crucial uh, and a bit more specific is once Oregon gets down in the red zone early, you know, making sure you walk away with six points, seven points instead of just three.
1: Yeah. But the red zone uh, efficiency has been a little bit of a concern for Oregon these past couple of weeks, which is so interesting because you drive the length of a field, you rip off some huge plays and, and you're supposed to use that momentum, you know, all right, let's cap this drive off. And, uh, you know, just take care of business. But I think we saw a little bit of questionable play calling from Kenny Dillingham in that Washington State game that had a lot of people kind of scratching their heads. But um, the the red zone effectiveness hasn't totally been there for Oregon. So maybe they've been a little bit in that sense. Maybe they've been a little bit reliant on the explosive plays, which is kind of funny to think about when uh, when you consider that last year they didn't really have too many explosive plays, at least through the air. But I really liked that play from Chase Cota when, you know, uh, Stanford was trying to get off the field and they thought that the quarter was over. Um, They weren't totally ready. And then they they hit him with that quick tunnel screen and Chase Cota took care of the rest. Um, So the red zone offense absolutely needs to improve that. I'm sure that's been a a big focus. The penalties certainly aren't helping them. I think that that's kind of been part of what stalled some drives last week or kind of just slowed the offense down uh, as a whole. Graham, when we're looking at this Arizona defense, you talked about them kind of thriving off of turnovers. Uh, We know that their run defense is is definitely not a strength for them heading into this game. Um, In fact, they have the number 11, so second-to-last run defense in the Pac-12, and that obviously bodes pretty well
2: for Oregon. It definitely does, especially the way that Oregon's rushing uh, attack performed last game. Bucky Irving... He was such an impressive rusher. I was in the press box for the Oregon-Stanford game, and all the writers around me, all the reporters around me, just were fawning over Bucky Irving. He's just so fun to watch him run the ball. And he's not the only guy, of course. You know, Bo Nix was the leading rusher on the day with his uh, 80-yard rushing touchdown. You also have Noah Whittington. You've got Sean Dollars. The rushing offense should have a field day. But there are definitely still some... uh, Strong players on on uh, Arizona's defense and players that, like I said, will cause turnovers. Uh, the first name that I look to is USC transfer on the defensive line, Hunter Eccles. He has six and a half tackles for loss and he leads the Pac-12 with two forced fumbles this season.
1: Yeah, he was a he was an interesting name to to see pop up, Graham. Because you know, for a guy like me that loves to to sink his teeth into recruiting, that was definitely a name that that I recognized uh, probably a name that you're a little bit familiar with too, you know, being a Southern California native. Uh, I think he came from cathedral, uh, in the, uh, Los Angeles area. I want to say they're the phantoms. They have some sweet uniforms. Uh, I believe they're black and purple. Um, but yeah, that, that that's probably the main guy that Oregon's going to have to account for in the pass rush. And, uh, it's, it's funny that it took five games for Oregon to surrender their first sack uh, against an opponent this year. So Oregon's offensive line I think is still an absolute strength for them. Certainly one of the tops in the country. And I think that the nice thing about Oregon's offensive line is that they're going to be able to, you know, kind of have some other guys maybe assigned to to Eccles. Cause I bet that their defensive coordinator is going to try to move them around, see which matchup favors him the most. But I don't know if there's necessarily a super definitive weak point. On this offensive line, especially when we're talking about the tackles, I think TJ Bass Manning down that left tackle spot has been money so far this year. Uh, Sala at right tackle has been really, really strong. Um, so either way they try to put him, I feel like the, the Oregon's going to feel pretty confident about being able to to open some run lanes and then defend Bo Nix. Uh, I talked about giving Sala a shout out after the Stanford game, but just the the mobility that that guy has, the the way he can move. Uh, at, you know, 6'6", I want to say he's like 330, maybe even more, uh, is just astounding. And it's a, a tribute to the strength and conditioning staff, as well as Adrian Clem and the rest of that offensive line staff. Um, so Oregon's offensive line, I think, is definitely ready for a matchup against this, uh, this defense um, when it comes to the pass rush and certainly the run. Um, but maybe the better matchup is going to be in the back end, Graham, with, with some of these wide receivers that Oregon has. Going up against a, a fairly strong Arizona secondary.
2: Yeah, and first of all, you know, I think that stat uh, about Oregon not giving up a sack—you know—that was very popular, and I was surprised that not that that stat ended, but that uh, Oregon gave up their first sack to Stanford. I was definitely not uh, expecting that out of all the teams that they've played so far, but um, it'll it'll definitely be interesting to see how Arizona accounts for all the receivers that Oregon has, because one thing that Bo Nix has been so good at this year has been spreading the ball around. Yes, he does have his favorite targets in Troy Franklin, Terrence Ferguson in the red zone, but he's comfortable throwing it to pretty much uh, any of his reads, which makes it so hard for defenses to uh, get on top of that. Uh, In the Arizona secondary, the best player they got um, is Jackson Turner. He's been with the team for a few seasons now. Unlike uh, Eccles, who we said is a USC transfer, he's got a uh, uh, Turner has 24 tackles and forced two turnovers in the first two games of the season. So definitely watch out for him at the safety position to come down, lay a big hit or grab an interception. Uh, he's a ball hawk.
1: Yeah. And, and the names don't stop there either. I mean, there's a couple other guys that, that kind of stick out to me. Another one being Christian Roland Wallace, uh, a junior, six foot, 205 pounds. I think that the secondary, they match up pretty well size-wise with, uh, with Oregon and some of the guys that they have. I'm looking at another guy that is familiar, uh, Ephesians Prysock uh, from Corner Canyon Country, uh, Bishop Alamany. He's uh, one of those longer defensive backs that Oregon was going after, uh, USC was going after, I believe. So they, they've they've brought in some pieces Jed Fish has on both sides of the ball, but definitely on, on a defense or maybe where some of those guys can kind of fly under the radar because Jed Fish, I think, is more so known for his offense during his time at, at, in the college football ranks. Um, I think I saw something today that, that said that uh, Jed Fish was actually being looked at for the Oregon OC job when uh, Mario Cristobal ended up hiring Joe Moorhead. So that's kind of an interesting dynamic to uh, add into this game. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if, if, if uh, Arizona maybe tries to not blanket their coverage, but certainly zero in on Troy Franklin just with the huge, huge season that he's had so far. So maybe this is a game where we see some other guys like Terrence Ferguson, Chase Coda, Chris Hudson, Dante Thornton. I think this could maybe be a breakout opportunity for Dante Thornton um, because he has a tremendous skill set. He's probably Oregon's tallest wide receiver. He's super fast. Um, Get that guy the ball in, in space sometimes. And we haven't seen too much from Seven McGee either. So I don't think that it's concerning that we haven't seen a whole lot from those guys. I just think that you know the connection that Troy and and Bo have built has been so strong, so consistent, so reliable that it's like you know if it's not broke, don't fix it. Um, but Oregon's Oregon's balance of offensive weapons uh, is, is certainly something that I think favors them coming into this game. Uh, and, and I'd love to see some of the see a different receiver that we maybe haven't seen or heard from too much this week. Kind of really uh, step up, maybe make some big plays. Uh, we know it's a road environment, and Oregon hasn't won there since 2011. So, pl- plenty of uh, interesting dynamics at play for this Oregon offense when they head to the desert.
2: Yeah, there are. Um, Max, I'm sure you could touch on this more, and we will definitely talk about it more once we get to the or uh, excuse me, once we get to Arizona's offensive side. But since Jed Fish has come in, Arizona's recruiting game has taken just two huge steps up. I think they were really one of the lower teams in the Pac-12 when it comes to getting. Um, high-T recruits, and they're in contention uh, for a lot of California's best targets, a lot of the West Coast targets. Like I said, we'll definitely talk about one guy once we get to the offensive side. But it wouldn't be a bad idea at all for Arizona's defense to go all out and try and limit uh, Bo getting the ball to Troy Franklin. Oregon definitely has the weapons to get over that. I don't know what the deal is with Seven McGee. I know he got uh, ejected for fighting, and I say that with uh, air quotes. You know, it was very weak uh, fighting call. If you saw the call against Stanford, did did you see the video
1: though that came out after?
2: Just where he he, hit the he he hit the guy in the helmet.
1: Yeah, yeah. Because like I was uh, I was in the same boat. I was like, what the heck is going on? You know, cutting between camera angles, it, it was a little bit hard to see kind of what really happened. And then that video came out. Um so I think that you know it wasn't like a you know oh my god I can't believe he did that but I think once you kind of saw that video you you understood it a, a little bit more
2: Yeah definitely to me he was standing up for his teammates I didn't think anything that 7 did was egregious or Yeah uh what you know other players were doing the same thing just uh he's the one that got called for it it happens but I would love to see 7 get more involved he's so dynamic once he gets the ball in his hands I really liked. Max, how you said, you know, Oregon got Chase Coda, that screen, and he took it to the house. I'd love to see more of that. Uh, because Oregon has so many capable receivers. Dante Thornton definitely should use his high. Seven McGee, use that speed. Uh work to your strengths, Oregon offense.
1: Yeah, so there's there's a couple more uh points I just want to get to here. A little bit more focused on the ground attack because that has been such a strength for Oregon. I think what's so interesting is it almost feels like there's a one a one b kind of deal in in the backfield like we know that bucky irving is the lead back i mean that dude is slippery he runs hard he's fast he's got good burst uh incredible body control and and balance but the numbers really aren't super definitive i mean the, the top three rushers in order here are bucky irving with 362 rushing yards Bo Nix with 261 rushing yards, and then Noah Whittington with 244 rushing yards. But what's so interesting is that Bucky and Noah almost have the same number of carries. Noah has 46, and Bucky has 48. So there's really not that much of a discrepancy here, and there's not that much drop-off, Graham, quite frankly, when they need to swap another guy out. Um, Bucky is averaging 7.5 yards per carry, which is nuts. Like you can maybe see that being a little bit of a jaded number in a game, like an isolated one sample, but he's played in five games and he's still averaging a crazy uh, average uh, seven and a half yards per carry. And then Noah at 5.3 yards per carry is, uh, is super respectable. But then on top of that, as you continue to kind of dig into this Oregon rushing attack, Bo Nix has been running all season. All right. He's been running all season, but a lot of that has been really, really close to the goal line or in the red zone. But it seems like Kenny Dillingham is is opening up a little bit of a new dimension, just giving Bo that freedom to, to use his legs, you know, maybe a little bit more design runs or some more read options. So I think that he's been effective towards the goal line, but I think that he's getting more comfortable. We're seeing a little bit more versatility improvising and that's why we're seeing, you know, this huge uptick in Bo's numbers on the ground.
2: Yeah. You know what, Max? It's the best problem to have if you're uh, Coach Lachlan, if you're Coach Dillingham, if you're Coach Clem. It's, it's the best problem to have because you have so many capable rushers. I think that if you watch an Oregon game, the eye test will tell you that Bucky Irving is the best running back uh, on the team. The way he rushes, he's so versatile. He's strong. He's fast. He breaks tackles. He's got it all. But the Oregon, you know, multiple running backs or multiple rushers on this team are above five yards per carry. It's because, you know, you think you've got a handle on one of them. You throw in the other. You think you're starting to tackle um, Bucky Irving, throw in Noah Whittington. And once you go down, you know, Oregon just has so many different backs for so many different situations. Uh, You talked about on uh, Saturday, Jordan James has kind of been the guy to punch it in uh, on the red zone. If you're looking to the running back and not to Bo Nix, Oregon has so many options. You got Sean dollars who can go in and give you a good series last week. Exactly. So like I said, it's the best problem to have. um, And it really speaks to how versatile this Oregon offense is and how hard it's going to be to stop.
1: Yeah. They're, they're just capable of attacking you in so many different ways. and, And it's really fun to watch. Honestly, it's just super fun to watch, but Seeing which element of the offense or elements of the offense travel is kind of one of the things that I'm going to be focused on because I think you know defense travels right. That's kind of a saying, and I feel like to a degree the run game travels a little bit more consistently. But seeing how Bo Nix and the rest of that passing game can settle in in a hostile environment somewhere they haven't, I don't. Well, Bo's never been to Arizona, so that that'll be a whole new element. But I feel like seeing how the passing game can settle in is going to go a long way in telling us, you know, how effective Oregon's offense can be. And uh, if Arizona has a shot at maybe making them one dimensional, because I'm trying to think of, you know, how you attack this Oregon offense. Maybe that's a little bit what you try to do, Um, you know, take away the run a little bit and make them beat you through the air. But that worked last year against Anthony Brown and with the play calling that we saw from Oregon. But if you do take away the run game, I mean, Bo's had games this year, I want to say, where he's thrown like 30 plus passes. I don't think that's what you want to do, but, maybe Oregon ends up doing that if Arizona is able to stop the run.
2: Yeah, you know, Bo, um, I believe it was against Washington State. He set a single game record for Oregon for most uh, completions in the game. He beat both Herbert and Mariota's record. So, like I said, you know, so versatile uh, for the offense. And, you know, you were saying, Max, Bo, Nix has never been to Arizona. I know someone who has, Kenny Dillingham. He's an Arizona guy. You know, if we're talking about, if we're worried about uh, Kenny Dillingham being maybe a name thrown around for the Arizona state head coach job, then you better be able to win in Tucson.
1: Yeah, no, no doubt about it. That's a whole nother element that that's pretty interesting. You know, you see some more rumblings and, you know, whispers about his name, picking up some steam in the coaching search, but unless you're like super plugged into either program, it's it's a little bit hard to tell. Um, But I feel like it just makes this season that much more important for him as a, as a play caller, as an offensive mind. Uh, before we switch over to uh, talking about Oregon's defense against Arizona's offense, any any final thoughts from you, Graham, that you kind of just wanted to throw in here or maybe didn't get to say?
2: Uh, not much, Max. I think it's going to be hard to stop this Oregon offense. They're on a serious roll. This Arizona defense is not one of the brightest in the Pac-12. I think that, you know, maybe the heat of the desert in the late night, you know, that Oregon hasn't won since 2011 is the best thing that this Arizona defense has to defend themselves against a red hot Oregon offense.
1: Yeah. So we'll have to see how that uh, offense looks. I, I wonder if, if they win the toss, if they just take the ball right away, or if they go a little bit more conservative and, and defer. Um, I'd love to see them take the win the toss and take the ball right away and just punch them in the mouth, uh, set the tone and, and just be aggressive because uh, while the defense maybe hasn't been as strong as you'd like it to be. Uh, certainly I don't think it's a situation where like the defense is carrying the offense. I don't, you could probably make a better case that the offense is carrying the defense. I'm not saying that's what's happening, but just in terms of balancing the team and kind of who has more strength right now. Um, So, so I'm going to be interested to see where Oregon's offense kind of goes to work and how they attack Arizona on defense with that. Let's switch things up a little bit and let's stack up Oregon's defense against the Arizona offense, because Arizona's offense has been, pretty pretty potent so far this season they're averaging 32 points a game and they've scored 40 I'm sorry they scored 30 or more points in all but one game so far this year coming off of a win 43 to 20 over Colorado which was a really good uh, performance for them I don't know how much stock you can put into that because Colorado is struggling kind of like we mentioned but um, they're, they're taking care of business on offense and and that's definitely where Oregon has to do uh, a majority of their game planning.
2: Yeah, this is, this is what's going to make it a game. If there will be a game uh, on Saturday night, Uh, Arizona's passing offense has been one of the brightest in the conference. And statistically, Oregon has given up the most passing yards per game in the PAC 12. So it should be an interesting dynamic. Obviously there's more to it than just the numbers like that, but It'll be very interesting to see.
1: Yeah, and, and that's where Oregon's been the most vulnerable. But, but there's been steady signs of improvement, whether it, it be the pass rush or some of the coverage in the back end. Um, Chris Gonzalez has really been the story of, of Oregon's secondary so far this season. I, I want to say that I was hearing or seeing some stories today uh, about a recent PFF mock draft that had Gonzo going at 10 to the Patriots. Uh, which is pretty crazy for this NFL draft. So he's, he's definitely getting some buzz as one of the top corners in the conference. But now that we've maybe gotten deeper into the season, I think some of that conversation has been able to expand and broaden out a little bit more saying that, Hey, there's a legitimate shot that this guy could be the best corner in the class, Uh, which is insane because I don't think that there's been a guy with that kind of buzz, that kind of acumen um, or skill set. In the defensive back, since Javon Holland uh, in the defensive backfield, but particularly at corner, I think that Michael Wright and Thomas Graham kind of had some of that buzz, but it fizzled out a little bit. I mean, I don't want to be super critical, but I'm of the mindset that, of the opinion that Michael Wright regressed each year he was at Oregon um, after just having a stellar freshman season. But, uh, but yeah, this this Arizona offense is a uh, is is something special. Uh, even though it was just against Colorado, this I believe was Jaden Delora's best game of the year so far if we're just looking at Arizona's quarterback 33 for 46 uh, 484 yards and six touchdowns Um, so he's he's definitely just lit a fire under this offense Um, he's really really fun to watch when he was at Washington State it, it felt like there was a you know a chance for them to kind of score every time they had the ball Um, The the running game hasn't been, I think, where Arizona wants it to be. That said, they are coming to this game with some momentum on the ground, 178 yards uh, last week, led by Michael Wiley. He's kind of their lead back uh, right now, but maybe we can focus a little bit more on Delora and then some of the passing options that he has, whether it be wide receiver or, or tight end, because Dan Lanning wasted no time earlier this week saying, hey... I think this might be one of the best groups of wideouts that we faced this year, which is so such a shocking coincidence because uh, Oregon lost out on Tetairoa McMillan, the star freshman, highest rated pro recruit in program history for Arizona. And I saw another kind of funny note. I saw someone who covers Arizona that I follow. They said Tetairoa McMillan is speaking with the media this week, uh, the week they play Oregon. So that's kind of a shocker. So I thought that was kind of funny.
2: Yeah, yeah, real big coincidence there for uh, T-Mac. Max, you know, I know we were both following along really uh, closely when McMillan was committed to Oregon. We were really hyped, and when he decommitted, uh, I know at least speaking for myself, it, it stung. It stung for sure. Um, it was kind of – he decommitted uh, during the time when Cristobal left, and it kind of felt like the whole world was falling apart. All the players were hitting the transfer portal. Um It's been a long time since then and definitely more confident in the uh, Oregon program now, but Jaden Delora has been playing excellent. He's been the second best quarterback in the pac 12 uh, in all the main statistics, passing touchdowns, passing yards, um, just behind Michael Penix uh, from Washington. Um, He's been excellent. You know, he started at Washington state where they kind of have that air raid kind of reputation. And he brought it right down to the desert. He threw six touchdowns uh, last week he does have six interceptions which is a good amount more uh, than some of the other top quarterbacks but he can really sling it and he's got some excellent excellent receivers uh, another one that kind of stinks to talk about for Oregon Ducks Jacob Cowing. he was a transfer I believe Max correct me if I'm wrong he was considering Oregon once he was uh, transferring obviously he didn't and now he has an FBS leading seven receiving touchdowns this year And he leads all Pac-12 receivers in receptions, yards, touchdowns. He is a beast.
1: Yeah, and the thing with the Arizona offense is that we have enough of a sample size to show that it's not just you know an isolated performance. Um, Granted, granted, however, they haven't played the best opponents, Uh, but they're starting to get into you know the Pac-12 slate. Obviously, like the uh, like the rest of uh, the conferences, Um, but they've only faced Cal and Colorado and we should have said this when we were talking about Cal or Arizona's defense, Cal hung 49 points on them. Do you know how awful Cal's offense is aside from Jaden Ott, uh, who was a former Oregon commit, by the way, fun fact, if you follow recruiting. Um, So I think that's why I feel like I predicted that Oregon's going to score over 40 points, but we can get more into that later. Um, But we're talking about this Arizona offense. Jaden Delora, to your point, Graham, hasn't necessarily excelled at, Taking care of the football, which is super important, especially for an Oregon team that I think is finding more playmakers, I think, week to week. Uh, DJ Johnson missed the first half against Stanford, but then once he got back in, he was really, uh, he got a, a pair of sacks, I want to say. He got at least one sack, um, and Brandon Dorless had two sacks. So they're finding some parity on that defensive front, being able to move Dorless around. DJ is going to be available right out of the gate. Still waiting to see if Justin Flo is going to be available. He landing said that he was trending in the right direction. As we know, he's been battling injuries during his college career, but that'd be a big piece for them to get back. Loved how Noah Sewell was coming on the Blitz a lot last week. Um, so they have guys that are going to be able, I think, to get after Delora and, and get some hits on him, get him uncomfortable, uh, and make it harder for him to settle in. But um, maybe, they, yeah, they got to capitalize on those turnovers. If they are able to get turnovers, they got need to – have that confidence in the offense to finish those drives. Cause I feel like it's an underrated aspect when a defense is able to get a turnover and then the offense just can't capitalize on that. Like, I don't think it's detrimental to a team, but it certainly doesn't help you help your confidence either way. Um, but yeah, these, these receivers Graham are, are legit. They are absolutely legit. Uh, Jacob Cowing, he's scored in every game, he's played as a wildcat. And uh, I was watching some of the Colorado highlights earlier today. Jaden DeLora really fired that in there on the slant that he caught for a touchdown. This was a game for about a quarter or so, I want to say uh, against Colorado last week. But the guy that I didn't really know too much about, I knew about T-Mac. I knew about Cowing just with how explosive he was. Dorian Singer. Dorian Singer yeah. is is doing really well. He only has nine catches on the year, but he has 163 yards and I um, don't no, I'm sorry. This was the, I think that was the game against Colorado that I was looking at. Uh, just Colorado. Yeah, he had nine catches for 163 yards and a touchdown. Cowan had 12 for 180 and a touchdown. So Dorian Singer is, is absolutely a big play wide receiver, a vertical threat. He had a crazy one-handed grab from a, just a dot from from Jay and Delora. But th- this group of receivers is 100% going to test Oregon secondary, specifically their corners. Uh, because they're still looking for that guy that they can rely on at CB2 uh, behind Gonzo. So I, I would think that they're going to put Gonzo on Cowing.
2: Yeah, I think that would be smart. You know, Cowling, you know, despite the, the talent that we're talking about in this Arizona wide receiver room, Cowling is still the best, and I do think it would be smart uh, for Gonzo to follow him all game. Max, I'm like you. When I was uh, doing my research for the this Arizona game, I was not expecting to go three receivers down before I found McMillan. Uh, Dorian Singer, currently second in the Pac-12 in receptions and yards just behind his teammate, uh, Jacob Cowling. But he is absolutely uh, a wide receiver one on a lot of Pac-12 teams this year, I think. And the fact that Arizona has three capable receivers just to start, not even looking at a tight end room or anything beyond just the first three on the field, it's going to be a serious test for Oregon's defensive backs. Um, and like you said, you know, Singer had some really nice catches. We know Cowing has the ability. We know McMillan has the ability. Just playmakers all around the ball.
1: Yeah. And, and the thing with Wiley too, as I kind of dig into more of the stats, he's not a super, a superstar kind of back, but he did have five catches in this game against Colorado and he scored two receiving touchdowns. So um, Arizona's confident in getting guys involved in, in both phases of the game. I know T-Mac had a, like a reverse double pass uh, to Jaden DeLora in, in that game against Colorado. So I, admittedly, I wanted to watch more highlights than I was able to before we hopped on here. But it just goes to show you that Arizona's offense can, can do a lot of different things. I know they had a tight end. Uh, McLaughlin, I think, is his name. He had a hurdle uh, after an impressive catch and run. So... This isn't uh, this isn't a offense that that Oregon can take lightly, um, but uh, but they definitely have some momentum given their game against Stanford. Uh, kind of like we were talking about with this Colorado game for Arizona. I think we can't take too much from the Stanford game because that mesh offense is a total mess for Stanford. But admittedly, Oregon had some areas where they performed really really well. Uh, but you just can't take too much from one single game, I think, especially when it was a team that that Stanford that hasn't won since that hasn't beat a power five team, I should say, since they last played Oregon in 21. Um, but this case in point, this Arizona offense has a lot of playmakers and is going to be Oregon's biggest test on the outside, I think, uh, at wideout, out, um, probably since they played Georgia, because they did a really good job against Stanford, who has a, some really, really good wide receivers. Um, But I think that Arizona is up there in terms of the the best wide receivers in the Pac-12. You also have USC and Stanford in the conversation. And you got to give Oregon in that conversation, too.
2: Yeah, definitely. Max, I think you bring up a good point. Uh, Let's not put too much stock into Oregon winning comfortably against Stanford. But if we look against Arizona's opponents, I'm not sure who is the best team that they've beaten this year. Um, They barely won by three points against North Dakota State, who is a good FBS team, but an FBS team, nonetheless. FCS? Oh, FCS, excuse me. Think- um, Like you said, 49 points from that uh, California Golden Bears offense, and they were able to beat Colorado, which I would be a bit surprised if Colorado beats any Pac-12 team this year. I think the best team that Arizona's beat was the first week against San Diego State, but uh, – there's a lot of difference in between the, uh, the opponents that Oregon and Arizona have faced to start the season. Oregon's already faced three ranked opponents. Um, but nonetheless, this, I, I do think outside of Georgia, this will be the best test all season for Oregon's uh, cornerbacks.
1: Yeah, so it's, it's kind of a, I was reading something I think that our guy Mark wrote. He was saying that, you know, the secondary, the corners are still kind of looking for that prove it game. I think like this is this would be a heck of a statement game if Oregon's cornerbacks can come in here and just clamp, just absolutely clamp up the uh, Arizona wide receivers uh, on the road. It's uh, it's definitely going to be uh, a game that can have long-lasting effects and a game that you really want to win because Oregon has their bye week next week before UCLA comes to town, who who is playing some awesome football. Um, but we can get in a little bit more to, to the kind of the bigger picture. But um, anything else to add here on, on Oregon's defense and, and Arizona's offense?
2: You know, Max, it just feels like you have to be so careful with this Arizona offense. Um, one game that always sticks out in my mind as a Oregon fan was 2019 Oregon uh, versus ASU when they went down to uh, Tempe and lost. I think about Jaden Daniels and Brandon Ayukier guy on the Niners, uh, just going crazy with that long ball all game against the Ducks. And if Oregon were to lose uh, against a team that they shouldn't lose against, I think it's this game. And I think that's the way we know that deep ball. It it has bad memories for me. I have nightmares when I think about uh, Jaden Daniels in that ASU game. And so I just don't want – any repeat of that and i think there's a potential here with this arizona offense
1: yeah and we know that gonzo's super fast i mean for, for a guy that's 6'2 he is pretty blazing i think he was on bruce feldman's freaks list um i can't remember where but i think he was on there um and i love the demeanor that he plays with he's a quiet guy and in, in the pressers you know doesn't say too much uh but oregon does have some speed uh if they wanted to uh they wanted to bring in uh, Jaleel Florence, I think that's someone who could potentially have a game here. Um, I'm just going to be interested to see how that cornerback rotation shakes out because um, Jaleel Florence has played four games, and once he plays that fifth, that red shirt's burned. But I think with the way that things have shaken out so far, uh, I wouldn't be too surprised to see him burn his redshirt because they need the help. Um, but big games, prove-it games, I think, for, for Dante Manning and Triquas Bridges as well. Maybe we'll see Triquas Bridges against Ron McMillan. Um, But uh, to Florence's credit, you know, he's a little bit of a a longer defensive back, even though he is super fast. Um, But that's kind of what I uh, what we have to say on the Oregon defense against the uh, Arizona offense. We're going to go ahead and step away, take a quick break for those of you listening to us on podcast. And we'll be back with uh, more Oregon versus Arizona preview after this.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC.
1: Welcome back to the Ducks Dish Podcast. I'm your host, Max Torres. That's Graham Metzger. We are continuing our preview for Oregon football against Arizona. going to throw in a little bit of a new segment. We're talking our keys to the game against Arizona. And I think after this, we're going to hopefully get to some questions. So if you guys have a question, go ahead and throw it in the live chat. Super chats are also encouraged if you wanted to uh, support the channel. Uh, but let's talk keys to the game here, Graham. I think for me, anytime you go into a road environment, regardless of the reputation that it has or doesn't have, for especially for Oregon, since they haven't won here since 2011, granted they don't play this team every year you got to start hot hot as an offense. If you can start quick as an offense, I think that will just get the confidence going right away, deliver that opening punch, or respond. You know, if, if Arizona can score quick, I think it's equally important to be able to say, all right, you want to make this a shootout? Well, we're ready for it, and our offense is going to be able to step up and respond. I feel like a fast start from the offense is absolutely crucial.
2: I really like that key, Max. Um, when you say shootout, you know – I definitely think that Oregon's offense has the ability to win a shootout. We saw it up in Pullman a few weeks ago, you know, where they got that gritty win uh, in the fourth quarter where they just ended up taking the lead right at the end there. Um, I hope that Oregon does not have to go into a shootout with this Arizona team. And that brings me into uh, my key to victory, which is don't shoot yourself in the foot. Gotta, gotta, gotta limit the penalties this game, especially on the offensive line, I was really surprised to see uh, the veterans on Oregon's offensive line. We've given them so much credit, but they did have a lot of penalties that called against them in that Stanford game. I think if Oregon can get out of their own way, this shouldn't be a game to start. And like you said, Max, they can get out, start hot, start hot and uh, never give Arizona a chance to be in this game.
1: Yeah, no, get kind of uh, not shooting your foot and not, you know, getting out of your own way is, is definitely a, a good key for Oregon. Uh, seeing that they had a season high 14 penalties for 135 yards last week against stanford and it's so crazy graham I, you can tell me if you agree or disagree here i feel like shooting yourself in a foot has honestly been uh you know trait of oregon football for a long time um i think mario cristobal definitely hammered it out a little bit and got them to clean some things up but uh it feels like, you know, after following this team and covering them for, for a while, it, it just it, whether it's offense or defense, it feels like it can really show up, um, which is, you know, too, which is too bad, because I think that's the, the separate one of the separators between a good and great team. I think Oregon's a good team right now, but being able to pass this test, you pass some big tests against BYU on the road against Eastern and now you got a big road game against Arizona that that's this is going to be a game that i think can kind of go a little bit further this season in the big picture and will kind of help determine a little bit more of of their trajectory you know are you going to be a good team or a great team great teams play clean football they don't get in their own way and, and they have control over their emotions which is one of the one of the comments here
2: you said it perfectly max great teams don't have 14 penalties against them um and I totally agree with your first point. You know, I was talking about nightmares that I have about past Oregon games. Definitely, definitely think about that 2021 Stanford game. Michael Wright with the uh, penalty against him. Was it fair? Was it actually a penalty? You know, who knows? It, it was called a penalty, which is what we all remember. Um, so that definitely has been a trait. And I feel like for Oregon teams in the past, you know, at least uh, since I've been following, you know, uh, with Ball in the past few years. There's always been just that one missing step, that one missing link in the armor. You know, maybe it's a bad game. Maybe it's a missed penalty that ends up blowing the game. It feels like it's not going to come this year for uh, Dan Lanning's Oregon. That's the way I feel. At least I think this week will be a big step in uh, making me feel more confident in that prediction. But it feels like this is an Oregon team that's a little bit more uh, solid.
1: So are you saying that there, there's maybe not going to be a game that comes where it's like, you know, they kind of get get caught up? I was just trying to clarify what you were saying.
2: Yeah, I'm going to knock on wood as I uh, say that again. But it does seem like this Oregon team is maybe a little bit less uh, prone to mistakes and definitely more prone to cleaning up their own mistakes like we saw in that Washington State game.
1: Sure, sure. Okay, I see what you mean. Yeah, and I think that you know if this does become a shootout, we can look back at that Washington State game as a reason to be confident that Oregon can, uh, can hang in there if, if uh, that ends up happening ultimately. Okay, so we've talked about a couple here. We've talked about a fast start to the offense that's kind of more general, not, not shooting yourself in the foot. That goes for both ways, particularly on the penalty front. Um, Lanning was talking this week about, uh, or maybe it wasn't Lanning, he was asked about it, but I think Troy Franklin was the one who initially noted it about how they're kind of implementing some accountability measures in practice. If you know someone has a penalty pre-snap or whatever it is, um, they get pulled out and they have to do some up downs is what Franklin was, I, I might be paraphrasing a little bit, but that's what Franklin was saying. So it, it's interesting to see that they're trying to implement some measures to try to clean this up. Um, you know, it's not just a uh, lip service. Lanny is is saying that, you know, it's not something that we're going to just, you know, stand by and, you know, let it affect us. We're going to go to work. Um, Addressing it and, and maybe that's another thing that we can kind of talk about just like a broad takeaway of one of the differences that we're seeing between this Oregon team past and present is it seems like even though they're not playing perfect football, they're not playing flawless football They're, I think they're doing a good job of identifying what went wrong in the week before some of their shortcomings and ultimately addressing it on a week by week basis, which I think is, is, is great to see because we're seeing some adjustments even in game Graham we're seeing some adjustments that we just flat out didn't see last year. Um, a la two carbon copy games against Utah that were just horrendous. Um, so I think that that's something that you got to give Dan Lanning and his coaching staff credit for um, especially being as, you know, young and new as they are working collectively, as it seems like they're doing a good job of addressing issues that kind of pop up week to week. But also we got to mention how uh, there's been some sloppy tackling uh, that continues to be an issue.
2: Yeah, I love how Lanning uh, has made his team accountable. I definitely think that he has uh, been upset about the missed tackles as well. But uh, one note that kind of proves your point about the up-downs that uh, Troy Franklin was saying, no dancing during Shout last weekend uh, in Austin Stadium. Even though Oregon was up by multiple scores uh, at that point in the game, there was no dancing, which, uh, you know, some Oregon fans will be upset. But I think all Oregon fans will be happy with the win, most importantly. Um, but one thing that I have noticed, uh, it's hard to tell from the outside looking in, but it really feels like this locker room is uh, a much better place to be than it has been in past years. You know, we saw a lot of guys transfer, and we even saw a few guys transfer before uh, Crystal Ball left last year. You know, I think of Micah Pittman and, you know, the way that he has kind of acted since or spoke about Oregon since he left. It leads me to believe that the Oregon locker room last year was not the best place to be but it feels like everyone's having a good time now especially when they're winning you know landing comes into every press conference after the one he says that was fun right you know so it just it just feels like uh, a more together group this year
1: yeah and, and that's something that i've heard too you know just from from talking to some people around the program is it seems like it's a more fun atmosphere that players are enjoying being out there uh, but obviously Dan Lane's doing a good job of, of you know, keeping the main thing, the main thing, as uh, the adage goes, you know, <laughs> we're still here to play football. We're, we're chasing the Pac-12 title and they should be chasing aspirations even greater than that. And that's still within their sights with how the season's gone. But let's let's stay there for a second, Graham, on one of your previous points that kind of goes along with discipline and tradition, because I think that that was kind of one of the notes from from last week having the players not participating in in shout because that has been such a cherished tradition for Oregon and you know I always think about Troy die dancing during shout oh, yeah. you know various players but may, maybe maybe it's a good call to do that until you're playing more disciplined clean games you kind of got to earn maybe that's the message that he's sending you got to earn the uh the ability to you know, the privilege to celebrate during shout but it, it also makes sense of why you wouldn't because it's like you know why would you um how what is it you got to make sure the hay is in the barn you don't want to celebrate the win until it's you know in reality a win well, what, what what do you think about that and then you guys gotta let us know in the chat what you think about players not dancing to shout because that's an interesting change that we really haven't seen
2: yeah, it, it caught me by surprise. Um, you know, Landing after the BYU game, he said that he wanted to figure something out about what to do with Shout because he felt like BYU kind of came back in the game in that fourth quarter after Shout played. Um, so, first of all, credit to Landing for sticking to his word. Um, in the past, as a student, in the student section, I would feel like sometimes Oregon goes into the third quarter or heads into the fourth quarter. They're down, they're out. And then shout plays, and it's a whole new game. I was at the uh, Rose Bowl in 2020, and they were nice enough to play uh, shout after they played jump around for Wisconsin, and it changed the game. And Oregon ended up coming back and winning in the fourth quarter. So, I, I like I like the comment that you put up right here. I think at the end of the day, you got to earn it. Um, it shows solitude. I don't know. It shows like it shows being together, kind of like I was saying before that the whole entire Austin Stadium is dancing having fun you're up by multiple scores and the oregon players are just locked in not moving you know it's kind of cool to see you know i love to see uh troy died dancing cyrus and Bibi likio i think of dancing on the sidelines um but i think it also still looks cool them just standing there ready for the next play and i think overall if flanning has a better hold on his team nobody's going to be complaining
1: All right. I have two more keys to the game that kind of came to mind uh, on the fly here. One of them might be a little bit obvious, but I think establishing the run. Establishing the run has to be a key for Oregon because that's a weakness for Arizona. And if you can establish the run, it's going to make it easier to pass. That's kind of just, you know, football 101, right? That's the basics, but do what you're good at and then see how they can kind of respond and, and what comes from that. So I think if Oregon can establish the run, that's going to be a big key for them. Establish their bread and butter landing. Talking about how the O lines have been a strength all season, so no reason to go away from that. But the other one that is maybe a little bit more important, I think, or less obvious, you got to limit the big plays on defense because that's really where Arizona has found a lot of their success this year is in those explosive plays. We talked about the playmakers, you know, the T Max, the Cowings, the the Dorian Singers. Um, they have a lot of weapons on this team that can really fire them up. And if you, if you can, you know, limit the explosive plays, then I think that it's, it's going to put less strain on, on your defense. Um, so I think there's a lot of pressure on Oregon's defense to just try to contain Arizona. I don't think you want to come into that bend don't break mentality. Um, because that doesn't, I don't, I don't think that's a good place to be at long-term. But if Oregon, Oregon can do themselves a favor by limiting the big plays with, with Arizona, finishing the sacks too. Like when you can get Delora down, get him in your, you know, your sights. You gotta, you gotta make it happen.
2: I I really agree with you there, Max, because we have been giving this Arizona wide receiver room and passing game a lot of credit as they deserve. But for Oregon, if you start looking down the line to the games where you want to be in the Pac-12 Conference Championship against uh, either Utah or USC, who we both know have deadly passing games, can definitely burn you down the field and maybe even further past that Pac-12 conference championship game, you're going to face some big passing offenses. So this if Oregon wants to really have as much success as they can this year, it's going to have to start here. They're going to have to show that they are not going to get smoked over the top every single play.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. All right, um... So I think we're doing pretty good on keys to the game, Um, have around 10 minutes left in the show. Uh, So if you guys have a question, I want to get to some of these questions and comments uh, so we can get you guys, uh, you know, involved in the show, engaged with the show. So hopefully you guys have stuck around, but if you have some questions, throw them in the chat and we will try to get to them before we get out of here. This one coming from Cameron Matthew, quick question, probably off topic. But hope you guys are having a great day. Hope you're having a great day too. But my question is when is the last time Oregon had two dominant pass rushers? That is an interesting question for sure. Um, part of me wants to think a little bit back to the 2019 season. And I don't know if I would say they were both dominant, especially because KT didn't really start and like really get solidified until kind of the back half of the season. But Kayvon Thibodeau was was obviously real solid when he got you know his footing. But I think Lamar Winston was pretty solid too, coming off of the edge for for Oregon. Kind of a guy that maybe gets a little bit forgotten. Um, but I think about I think about him, uh, those two guys, and um, when Oregon made that run to the national championship, when they eventually lost to Ohio State, um, I think about DeForest Buckner and Eric Armstead. But those weren't really those weren't really edge guys. They they were more more so interior. Um, so the last time they had two, that's probably the best that I have for you. Um, I'm, I'm a little interested to see, uh, you know, if you have any different opinion there, Graham,
2: I think the first place that I was also heading max was DeForest Buckner and Eric Armstead. Yes, they were not edge rushers, but they were just so dominant, so good at wrecking the play from the middle that it made the work so easy for the edge rushers. And they were getting after the quarterback, like edge rushers, basically. So, uh, DeForest Buckner, and Erica Armstead really um, the example for defensive line excellence for Oregon. But I would say the best two defensive uh, edges, actual true edge rushers was last season, Kayvon Thibodeau and DJ Johnson. If DJ Johnson is the best edge rusher on this team right now, I say Kayvon Thibodeau is the best edge rusher Oregon has seen period. Um, I think that those two on the field together, I just wish we could have seen more of it and that uh, DJ wasn't splitting his time at tight end, but I think Kayvon Tibedo Thibodeau and whoever was on the other side of him was seriously elite because a lot of times uh, teams to make up for KT's dominance would send two guys over that made it a lot easier for DJ Johnson, Braden Swinson, Noah Sewell to get after the quarterback. So my answer is Kayvon Thibodeau is your edge rusher and whoever else you want on the other side.
1: Yeah, that that 2019 defense was a scary sight, without a doubt. Uh, The other guy that comes to mind is Justin Hollins, who's on the Rams now. Um, He was definitely one of the better guys that they had um, from a pass rushing standpoint. He finished his Oregon career with 13 sacks, and he had six and a half his senior year in 2018. Um, And he also finished with 36 and a half tackles for loss with double-digit TFLs in 2017 and 2018. Um, so not the, the best moments for Oregon record-wise in those two years because they were in a coaching transition, but got to give a shout-out to those guys. Um, Justin Hollins was special, and he's still doing his thing with the Rams, which is awesome. Question from Gary Metzger from Graham's Pops. Uh, shout-out to Gary. Um, Gary asks, are you too concerned the Ducks might be looking past this game with UCLA coming to Autzen Stadium and perhaps an ESPN game day crowd? Um, yeah, that, I mean, if, if UCLA and Oregon both win this week, they will both be undefeated in conference play heading into that, uh, week eight matchup at home in Eugene. Um, but no, no, personally, I don't think they are, you know, after talking to the players and, and listening to what they had to say and, and landing, I don't think Oregon's looking past this game. I feel like Lanny has them, you know, laser focused on this Arizona game. Um, but I, I can definitely see the appeal because, you know, that that UCLA game is looking very enticing right now.
2: Pops, I love you, but I don't think the Ducks are concerned about this one. I think Lanning really has his team uh, solidly on a game-to-game basis. You know, that can be some lip service that coaches say, but I do believe it from Lanning. Um, Oregon, I think, will go down, keep their heads down, handle their business in Tucson. But let's let UCLA handle their business, too. they got to beat Utah. Uh, before we can start talking about a college game day crowd coming to Eugene again. So I think Oregon's got their heads down and uh, UCLA should be feeling the same way.
1: Yeah, so that's going to be a good one. Uh, Oregon's got to take care of business in the desert. And uh, I think that there's good reason to think they can take care of that. Uh, i got two more questions I want to get to. I know as we close in on the end of the show, Gerard with a question here. Multiple coaching staffs in a row for Oregon have struggled in Arizona. Is there a vortex in the Grand Canyon that we fly over or do you think there's a logical reason for our issues in the desert? This this is an interesting question because like you talked about with the Arizona State game in 2019, Graham, um, obviously that was a different team but still in the desert. The The desert, it hasn't spelled disaster. That's an interesting alliteration opportunity. Duck's desert disaster lots of d's <laughs> um but I, I don't know i th- i think that um it really comes down to you know where maybe the organ just gets caught at the right time with some of these teams in the desert i think it has to do with consistency with discipline with um you know cohesion you know being able to you know be on the same page as, as the guy that you're lining up next to um and, you know, not, uh, not letting the moment get too big for you. I, I think that, I don't know if those are logical reasons, but those are all components that go into any game. But specifically for Oregon, I think when they have to hit the road and go to Arizona, it uh, hasn't treated them nicely. So I think that this is an opportunity for Oregon to kind of turn a new leaf. And I feel like I have said that a couple times this show, but to turn a new leaf and show that we're on that that you know, from Oregon is, a step closer to going from that good to great, not that Arizona is some phenomenal team, but win the games that you're supposed to win, and this is absolutely a game that Oregon should win, but it's a matter of how difficult do they let Arizona make it on them. And like we were talking about earlier, how difficult do they maybe make it on themselves?
2: Yeah, Uh, it's, it's interesting, Max, you know, the uh, talking points that we've had over the past few weeks, Uh, Stanford, you know, Oregon, Stanford had been a thorn in Oregon's side for the past years. Now we're on Arizona, you know, the Ducks haven't won in Tucson since 2011. Um, it's like Lanning and his team are kind of going a uh, smoothing over all of the uh, past mistakes of Oregon Ducks teams, you know, where they would lose the games that they shouldn't. But after Lanning wins these games, you know, after he easily beats Stanford and uh, hopefully, you know, probably thinking that Oregon will win this one, they're they're not going to get the credit that, you know, all this hype was building up to, you know all the bad juju around Arizona, you know, the vortex in the Canyon. I think that, uh, after landing comes through, we won't have these narratives as much anymore. And, uh, I think he's going to get rid of that vortex in the Grand Canyon this weekend.
1: All right. Well, it's a, it's another opportunity for Oregon to take a step in the right direction. Uh, nice question. Nice comment here. No question. Now just keep bringing the good commentary. Appreciate it. Last question we have is from Mikey G, my guy. Mikey G says, hey, Max, is this is Arizona's success mainly due to Delara? Uh, otherwise, I don't know what's hugely different about the team from last year. And they were one of the few teams that we blew out last year. Yeah, I think I think that's certainly where the success starts. If you can find the right trigger man for your offense, we know how huge of a difference it is. I mean, look at look at Oregon now that they have uh, Bo Nix and uh, he's been doing really well but it was a, you think about the Arizona quarterback room last year, it was a disaster. They were rotating guys in all the time. I think they had three different quarterbacks. Someone can fact check me on that. I think they had three different quarterbacks play when they played Oregon last year uh, in Eugene and Oregon was kind of playing down to their competition in that game. And then Bennett Williams had a pick six. Uh, It felt like Arizona was just giving the ball away practically on offense. So I think just having the right guy running the show on offense is so, so critical, especially when you're a team that is rebuilding like Arizona is. Um, I think if you get a guy like Jaden Delora in there early, too, I think he's only played one season. You you can kind of bridge the gap a little bit and, and kind of accelerate your your maturation. So I feel like that's the main difference. And um, they also got some really good pieces out of the transfer portal like Graham and I have talked about. And and some of those weapons like Tetai McMillan coming in, Jacob Cowan coming in, both of those guys weren't with the team a year ago. Um, So sure they had weapons last year. Um, Oh, I can't remember the name of the wideout that they had, but he was really good in the return game uh, last year as well. Um, I'm going to see if I can find it on the fly here. Um, But he was, he was one of the better players kind of like a Brandon Rice deal where it was just a struggle for uh everyone else but when he touched the ball it was really good um and my wi-fi isn't cooperating with me oh there we go there we go um okay hold on bear with me um this is bothering me oh stanley barry hill he was nice he was like <laughs> one of the best players on arizona's offense last year so uh i think that they had weapons but they couldn't get the ball of those weapons and now they have more weapons and a guy who can actually get them the ball so i would say yeah most of their success definitely lies there and then also their strong pass defense uh, but that hasn't really been tested yet.
2: Yeah, I think, um, you know, it's easy to say, oh, you just changed quarterbacks, and it's a whole new world. Um, Jaden Delora was already one of the better quarterbacks in the Pac-12, and last year against Oregon, Arizona's quarterback was Jordan McLeod, which, all due respect, I do not, I do not remember him at all, but he threw five interceptions against uh, Oregon last year, Um I'm not expecting Jaden Laura to throw five interceptions this year. Um, He's got way better weapons. How about Jacob Cowing? you know, leads the FBS in receiving touchdowns. How about a five-star wide receiver crew, T-Mac, um, like we've been talking about, McMillan flipped from Oregon. It's not a lot of different pieces, but the people that are different are really impactful for this Arizona team
1: absolutely all right well graham we hit the hour mark um which is awesome uh where can people find more of you if they want to you know connect with you and and follow the work that you're doing covering the
2: ducks hit me up at my twitter graham metzger got my tag right there Uh, i'm doing a bunch of work for ducks digest a bunch of work for uh the university of oregon student radio station kwva so for all that go check out my twitter
1: absolutely so you guys make sure you tap in with graham if you want to find more of me and my work covering Oregon, the Oregon Ducks college football recruiting, um, you can follow me on Twitter at Sports. That's the best place to tap in with me. And if you guys are here on the live show, great. Uh, greatly appreciate you guys stopping by. Like the video, subscribe to my channel, Oregon Football Max Taurus on YouTube, and share the Ducks Dish podcast. And don't forget to head on over to DucksDigest.com to find all of our written content uh, we're also sharing out our photos and pressers from the rest of our team. Uh, so it's it, we, got a, we got a special deal going on over there, and uh, I'm really excited about the direction that we're headed. Uh, but, yeah, um, that's about all we have for you guys today. Oregon heads to the desert to face the Arizona Wildcats kickoff set for 6 o'clock Pacific Standard Time. And uh, we'll have your coverage for that game, and uh, we'll catch you guys in the next episode of the Duck's Dish Podcast.